grace and your mercy and your love and all that you are to us. And you've made us to be members of your family whom you've loved unconditionally, accepted, made us acceptable in the beloved. We thank you, Father, for your word. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. The word was made flesh and dwells amongst us, indwells us. Thank you for the entrance of your word that bringeth light understanding. Father, we choose to bring our hearts in subjection, to bring our minds in subjection to the Holy Spirit as he gives us your word this morning. We bless you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yes, we we still is this on? Okay, it's not on. We are on the flesh. And how did we define the flesh last week? We defined it as the self-life. The flesh is also called the self-life. It is the condition, it is a mindset, it is the attitude or strategy of living. So it's a condition, yes, but it's also a mindset, it's also an attitude and a strategy of living where my focus is primarily on myself. My focus is primarily on myself. Even if it is a good-looking flesh, and we'll define what a good-looking flesh looks like, a good-looking flesh, a well-adjusted flesh, or socially acceptable flesh. The primary focus is on myself. In other words, I am self-centered. Where I am living out of my own resources. I am living out of my own resources. And those resources could be my heritage, could be my education, could be my IQ, could be my personality, could be a sense of humor. People have a good sense of humor. And that is why some have taken on the trade of being comedians. It could be my looks, it could be my talents could be my abilities, my capabilities. It could even be self-discipline. You know, there are people that are so self-disciplined, using their own willpower, self-discipline. And that is not the same as self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And even my self-strength, my willpower. And the purpose is this, in order to cope or deal with life, in order to solve my problems, in order to meet my needs, and also to become a success. And this is independent of Christ, completely independent of Christ. That is how we defined flesh last week, and then we went into the origin of the flesh. What is the origin of the flesh? That is what took us to the, um, to the two trees in the Garden of Eden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then the tree of life. 
And you recall that um, God told Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife, the woman, not to eat of the tree, or from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that the day that they eat, they will die, they will surely die, and that they could eat from every other tree in the garden, except that tree. People have always asked, why did God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? Why did he do that? Why did he just not leave that out? Why did he have to tempt man? See, love, love is a choice. Love is a choice. See, we choose to love. We choose to obey God. Jesus said, if you if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So we keep his commandments because we love him. Not, we are, not that we are forced to. So love is a choice. So God was giving man the choice to love him unconditionally. He said, I have given you blessings and curses, right? Blessings and curses. Life and death. And he says, well, choose life that you will live. Love is a choice. We say, if you love something, set it free. So that it will come back. If it comes back, it means that nothing loves you because he wants to. God wants us to love him because we want to, and not because we have to. Not by coercion. So I believe that was why that tree was placed there so that man could make a choice. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the gift of a free will that we can choose. We can choose to love him. We can choose not to love him. That is one of the essence of our image in God. God's image in us because God has a will. God chooses. And he has given us that free will so we can choose. We looked at the, um, what those two trees meant what those two trees meant. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the flesh. In other words, self-sufficiency. We are living out of our own resources apart from Christ, apart from God. But the tree of life represents Christ's sufficiency. We are living out of the life of Christ who indwells us. Indeed, he came to give us life. When we receive Christ, we receive his life. We receive his life. Paul would say, Christ in us is the hope of glory. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is an independence. It symbolizes independent of God. Independence. But, you know, this, the you know, the foundation or the, um, the essence of sin is independence. The moment we, we do things independent of God, that is sin. We don't want to depend on God. We want to depend on our own resources. Rather, the, the, um, the tree of life represents dependence upon God, complete dependence. Jesus says, I'll do nothing except that which I see my father doing. 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents bondage. Bondage, bondage to what? Bondage to sin. Bondage to sin because the moment they ate, what happened? They sinned. They disobeyed God. They became enslaved to sin. Jesus said in um, John 8, 34, say, he who commits sin is what? Is a slave to sin. Is a slave to sin. And this is re-echoed in Paul's uh, letter to, um, to the Romans. Romans chapter 6, I think, uh, verse 16 or so, where he says that to whom you yield yourself to, to obey, you become a slave of that person, of that person. You yield yourself to obey that thing, that concept, that philosophy, you become a slave, you become a slave to it. And Peter again re-echoes that in Second Peter 2, 19, Second Peter 2, 19, where he talks about uh, um, by what a man is overcome and defeated and controlled, by this he is enslaved. By what a man is overcome, defeated, controlled, by this you become a slave. However, the tree of life is freedom. Freedom. The freedom is not the freedom to do things just to gratify ourselves. doesn't mean I'm free to do whatever I want. Yes, you are free. You are free to do that. You are free to do that. But there are some, there are some freedom that will put you into bondage. Paul says, yes, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, but let us not use our freedom as an occasion to walk after the flesh. Otherwise, you put yourself back into bondage. The freedom that Bible talks about is freedom from the power of sin. We have been freed from the power of sin. Sin has no dominion. Sin has no control over us. We are free to be God, what God designed us to be. That is the freedom. The freedom, the liberty that is only in Christ Jesus, free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin, free from guilt, free from condemnation. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolizes law. Law. The law system says if you do this, then you are blessed. If you keep the commandments, you are blessed. If you don't keep the commandments, what happens? You are under a curse. That's the law system. So it is a performance-based acceptance. But the... Um, the tree of life represents grace. Grace. Grace is the acronym for G stands for, this is what I was, I learned very early on. Grace, G stands for God's. R stands for riches. A stands for art. C stands for Christ. And E stands for expense. So grace says God's riches at Christ's expense. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, we receive the blessings not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us. Because of his finished work on the cross. That is what the tree of life represents. And of course, the tree of the knowledge of evil represents death. Death I define as the absence of life. That's what death is. The absence of life. Of course, when we die physically, that is the absence of the physical life. We can also die spiritually. That's when we are separated from the Spirit of God. We were all born spiritually dead. And Christ came to give us that spiritual life. So, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says that as soon as I mean, God said, if you eat, you will surely die. And I, I reminded us last week that there was no funeral service conducted for Adam and Eve after they ate. But we know that they died spiritually. They were separated from God. They could still move around. They could see talk. But they were dead spiritually. I think Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, or verse 2 says, that my ears, God speaking, see my ears are not blocked that I cannot hear you, my, neither are my eyes closed that I cannot see you, but your sins have separated between you and I. So our sins separate us from God, and of course the wages of sin will always be death, the absence of life, the absence of God's life. God's life, eternal life, is a fulfilled life. It is a life of fulfillment, a life of satisfaction, don't attain that life when we live in sin. Whereas the tree of life is us in life. That is eternal life. That's God's kind of life. I want to add by saying that the Christian living is not a choice between good and evil behavior. It's not a choice between good and evil behavior. Because even unbelievers can do that. See, if your choice is I want to be good today, no, then evil, good and evil, then you still be feeding from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Could all be doing the good things, but you are still operating from that system. Rather, it is a choice between spirit and the flesh. Are you walking according to the spirit or you're walking according to the flesh? It is a choice between independent and dependent living, dependence on Christ and what he has done, he has accomplished. The flesh can bear fruits that look good. The flesh can bear fruits that look good, but that fruit is not nourishing. It is only the spirit that will glorify God nourish others, the fruit of the Spirit, compared with the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, from verse 9 to, from verse 19, talks about the works of the flesh. None of those things will nourish us. That's the fruit of the flesh. um, From 21, I think, or from 22, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
humility, forgiveness, self-control. These are the things that will nourish others. These are the things that will glorify God. Amen? All right, so that's a summary of what we had um, last week. If the technology will cooperate with me this morning, we'll go into the varieties of the flesh. The varieties of the flesh, the different kinds of flesh. This will be interesting. There are various varieties of the flesh. It's what I call the well-adjusted flesh. Recall that a flesh, let me give us um, um, another definition of the flesh. The flesh is our ungodly habits or ungodly habit patterns that is lost in our brains. So it is the ungodly habit patterns lost in our brain, which is a part of the flesh. You know, the brain is part of the flesh, right? So it is ungodly habit patterns that we have developed, that we have developed. And I said, we do this in order to cope with life, in order to deal with life, in order to feel good about ourselves, in order to meet our needs. So those ungodly habit patterns that we develop right from birth, right from birth. I am told that by the time that a child reaches eight, nine years, those habits are already there. Those habits are already there. Then we, as we grow into teenage years, into adulthood, all we are doing is just to massage those uh, habits and make them more refined, and make them more acceptable. Just refine them and make them more acceptable. So if uh, we had developed with deception and lying, <clears throat> as we get older, we can redefine lying. We can redefine lying. And it could be just be a slight misinformation, you know. We give it all kinds of labels. So well-adjusted flesh. I call this the chameleon flesh. Chameleon, you know the chameleon? What the chameleon does is it disguises itself to blend with the environment. It's a well-adjusted flesh. Well-adjusted to circumstances around us. You know, there's an old saying that if you're in Rome, you should behave like the Romans, right? So you can always adjust. You know what the chameleon does? It changes color to fit with the environment and hides under that color. There is the religious flesh, religious flesh. We find very, very religious people. Religion done with our own self-effort. Paul would say, these are people holding onto a form of godliness, but they do what? They deny the power thereof. We have all kinds of religious exercises, all in the name of religion. So we have religious spirit, a religious flesh. Self-depreciating flesh. Self-depreciating flesh. This is a flesh that thinks less of themselves. 
Yes, the Bible says that we should think less of ourselves and think more of others. They devalue themselves. That is the depreciating flesh. And I'll give you examples from the Bible. Remember the ten spies? That was sent by Moses to, to, to spy. You see? Two of them said we were like what? Grasshoppers. Who told you? We were like grasshoppers. Self-depreciating. The son of Saul, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, he calls himself what? A dead dog. He calls himself a dead dog. That is devaluing yourself. You don't believe what many Christians do that. And that is a lie. You know, they call themselves with all kinds of labels. They're lying against God. God says, you are righteous. You say, nope, I'm not righteous. Self-depreciation. There is a passive flesh. Passive flesh. A passive flesh, it will not make any decision. It doesn't want to make any decision. He wants you to make decisions for him or her. Passivity. Procrastinates. The passive flesh will always procrastinate. I'm there. You know, procrastination. You wait until the last minute before you make a decision. Why? Because you don't want to be blamed for failing. Yeah, you wait until the, so that when you fail, you say, well, I didn't have enough time. I just, it just came up at the last minute. And that is to protect yourself. Because you hate when you know that you failed. There is some kind of pain when you know that you failed. And so you protect yourself with passivity. And somebody identify with that? I do. Self-centered flesh. Self-centered flesh. When you are self-absorbed. The only three people you know in this world are I, me, and mine. <clears throat> I can't forget about myself. Self-absorbed, self-obsessed. Everything is about you. But again, that is the opposite of that. Others-centered. Others-centered flesh. I call this the codependent flesh. You know, people have the need to be needed. People pleasing. As long as I please you, I'm centered on you, I feel okay. People pleasing flesh. In other words, you put focus on others and not you. You depreciate yourself. You put focus on others. Just so that you feel needed. A toxic relationship, isn't it? Really toxic. You love because of you. Not because of that person. We have people like that. Or still flesh. Or still flesh. A hateful, malicious, 
harsh, rude, sarcastic, quick-tempered. You know, you don't necessarily have to pick up a gun and shoot somebody before you are hosted, but, you know, your attitude shows that, you know, harsh words. Then we cover it up with sarcasm. You know, some people that are sarcastic, you know, they, 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 you know, they hit you with some poison and then they laugh over it. <laughs> yeah. They smile. I call that, you know, a big smile with a very sad eyes. Big smile. They are killing you, they are smiling. <laughs> Uh, Stephen, you have a big head. <laughs> you know, you are too tall. <laughs> you know, the comedians, just know that, the comedians. Have you ever watched some, some of those comedies on TV? My heart cries out. They are cursing people. Cursing their mothers and their fathers. And people are clapping for them. Sarcasm. Hostility, people pleasing flesh. You know, you're just doing that for acceptance. Just want to please you. I'm so holy, I don't please myself, I want to please others. And then you become a doormat. People call it a doormat. People will take advantage of you. These are the kinds of people that will be in every committee in the church. Tell them you want to say, yes, I'll do it. And that is to please the pastor or to please God. Your child is sick and needs attention at home. I have to be in the church because I have to attend the meeting in the church. Your wife or your husband needs you at home. No, no, no. I have to be in the church so that I can have the approval of the people in the church. Can have God's approval. The withdrawn flesh, you know, is a flesh that pulls back, pulls back from people. We call that the silent treatment. How many have done silent treatment? I have. Silent treatment. You are hurt, you withdraw. You put yourself in a shell. You don't want to talk. Well, these things can get personal, but it's okay because we want to expose them. So, that is a good-looking flesh. Good-looking flesh. But good-looking flesh is still what? Flesh. A good-looking flesh is like well-adjusted, you know? Well-adjusted flesh, you know? You get into a place, you blend, you disguise. And then you put on a mask, on the mask. Put on the mask. And then the passive flesh. You don't say nothing. You don't make any decision. But you forget that not making a decision is a decision. Darling, where do you want to go for, for lunch? Anything, anyone you want, anything you say. And then when the person makes that choice, bam, 
when you go to the restaurant, darling, which is your which which is your choice? Just choose for me, please. And then when you make the choice, when you make the choice, <laughs> I said, did I tell you to give me that? That's a passive flesh. And all that is is for control. It's, it's for control. I wait for you to make the choice for me. And then I hit you when you make the wrong choice. A sweet spirit. <laughs> sweet spirit. Have you seen sweet people? <laughs> you go to, uh, you know, I go to the stores, you know, the you know, in the grocery stores. Somebody who doesn't know you from Adam. That's a cashier. He's calling you sweet. Who told you I'm sweet? <laughs> eh? Just to lure you. They call you all kinds of labels, you know. We have sweet people around. And those are the kinds of people that we want. Those are the kinds of people that we employ, right? <laughs> well adjusted, passive. They cannot challenge you. Whatever you say, yeah, I'll take it. They become dormant. All for control. Either to control others or to control the situation or to control themselves. Religious spirit. Oh, sweet spirit. Religiosity. All this just to make an impression, to impress others. If you don't impress others, you impress yourself. Because you're already self-centered. Of course, there is a yucky flesh. You know, those overt yucky flesh are the poorly adjusted or the dominant, you know, dictators, dominant, bossy. And of course, it's the mean, mean flesh that is the irreligious flesh. So you have the well-adjusted, sorry, you have the good-looking flesh, you have the yucky flesh, and they're all flesh. They're all flesh. All flesh. All done for, for me. 35 minutes. What are the most common characteristics of the flesh? Let's, let's, let's look at the, the most common characteristics of the flesh. Now, I am, I, I am teaching this not, not to spite anyone, but it is good that we have an understanding of this because I don't know of anybody that doesn't have flesh. I do. I do. I'm trusting God. The most common, the most common characteristics of the flesh. The flesh is a controller. The flesh is a controller. Everything that the flesh manifests is for control. And in life, it is either you are in control or out of control. Many of us get so scared to be out of control. But the flesh is a controller. wants to control things. Control me, control God, control others. Yes, we try to control God through our prayers. What kinds of prayers we pray. What are the methods of control? What are the methods of control? Critical attitude. Critical attitude. When you criticize somebody all the time, you want to control. 
border control by criticism. You are saying, I don't like what you're doing, you change. You may not say it directly. Body language. Body language to control. Hmm? You can be saying yes, but you actually, your body language says no. <clears throat> body language. You know, those, uh, those uh, gestures that we put up, just the eye alone, just by looking alone, those eyes, when you bulge your eyes, <laughs> you know what that means. You know, your child runs when those eyes are opened, you know. Body language. Control. Silent treatment. I've talked about that. Silent treatment. You withdraw. But you know what? Silent treatment speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. You are bottling up. And like a pressure cooker, <laughs> you release that pressure and the person blows and says, What? I thought you were a very quiet human being, huh? Where did this come from? You don't know that the person has been bottling, unbottling, unbottling, and he or she copes with that. And then the slightest thing, the pressure is released violently, like an eruptive volcano. Silent treatment speaks for a hostile behavior. We've already talked about that. The cruelty, the meanness, rage, upsurge of anger to control. Seductive behavior, seduction, all to control. I talked about going to the, store, to the grocery store and the cashier is calling you sweetie, you know, seduction to make you buy things that are not necessary. So they exploit your emotions, particularly those that, that operate out of emotions. Play politics. We do that a lot. We play politics. We have sides. Sedition. We have parties. For that party spirit, the politics, form of control, blackmail and intimidation. I'm not talking about unbelievers. <laughs> I'm talking about believers. Is that for me? Passivity. I've already talked about passivity. We vacillate. Is it this or that? And we never make a decision. We play it safe. You know, let, let me just play it safe. We don't make decisions. We wait for others to make decisions so that we blame them when things don't go the way that we thought they should go. Manipulation. Pandering. You know, the pandering? Listen to the TV. Listen to some of the news. You see the pandering? You know, the ponder on the weakness of people. Politics. I was listening to one guy, I'm not going to mention names, 
him. He said, it's very likely that a woman will be in a what is, what, what is uh, ticket. You know. so a woman will be in the ticket. In other words, the presidential ticket. You see the pandering? Pandering. So, so please nominate me so that I'll put a woman there. Pandering, manipulation. Playing politics. Not for either side, okay? Not for Democrats or, or Republicans, but, but you can see the pandering, the pander to the weakness of people. Huh? Like somebody will say, Well, I'm going to you know, appoint a black person as the vice president if you nominate me. You know, so you pander, you pander to that, you manipulate people. Religion. Things that people do because of religion. You do something, they tell you, what will Christ say? What will Jesus do? What will Christ say? And, you know, I've seen parents doing that. What will Christ say about that thing that you've done? Will Christ be pleased with you? And so this child already has a sense of guilt. Oh, Christ is not happy with me today. Guilt and shame. Oh, that is so common. You know, we, 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 we put guilt trips on people. Shame. Guilt is the horror of knowing that you've done something wrong. Shame is, 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 is worse than guilt. You know, guilt, while guilt says I've done something wrong, guilt says I am wrong. Sorry, shame says I am wrong. And if you believe that you are wrong, what can come out from a wrong person? Wrong. That's what shame is. You are unworthy. And from the pulpit, you can put guilt to some people, Right? If you give, <laughs> the windows of heaven will be opened unto you. Yeah? But if you keep doing that, so people give out of what? Guilt. If I continue shaming you, I will control you because nobody wants to be shamed. I shame you by the things I say about you. I shame you by the, by the labels that I give you. I'll control you. So that you feel unworthy. Overprotection. Overprotection. An overprotective parent says to the child, you can't do anything right, and therefore, I am going to protect you. I'm going to think for you. I'm going to do everything for you. Overprotection. So the child grows up, can't do anything right. Can't even think for myself. I'm going to mama. Mama's boys. My mother thought for me for years. I'll run to him if I have a problem with my wife. I'm going to my mother. You know? Mama, how do I handle this? Because mama overprotected me. Mama never allowed me to, to fight for myself. 
you know. Mama would, would as, as soon as I go out, as a child to play, just come back, my son. Don't go out. So I, I wasn't street smart, you know, street smart. Because of that overprotection. We play favorites. We play favorites. You know? Have you ever heard, you know, if I say, I'm doing this just because you are my favorite? It's a lie. We favor one child over the other. It's in the Bible. Isaac. And what does it always bring? Conflict, frustration, fight. These are all ways to control. You're my favorite child. And then the other child is listening. The purpose of control. What is the purpose of control? To keep God and others from getting too close to us. You know, because there is something that I'm hiding. I'm experiencing some insecurity. If you come too close, you might see that. So I keep you. So don't come too close. Because if you come too close, you see what you don't like about me. And if you don't like that, that means that you are going to reject me. So I keep you at a distance. Our love is just peripheral. Don't come too close. Because it is too close for comfort. And then we keep God out. To keep us from getting overwhelmed by circumstances. Keep us from getting overwhelmed by circumstances. The mask that we wear, the mask that we wear, so that we see those circumstances through those masks through the filters of those masks. As long as we see, then we will not see the truth, we will not be overwhelmed by the circumstances. We deny the truth, we deny the reality. To protect ourselves from others as a purpose of control. Protect ourselves from others. But the flesh is self-protective. To keep our emotions suppressed. Can you suppress emotions? They're going to bubble up someplace else. Suppress the emotions. We get what we want. We get what we want so that we can feel okay. So that I can feel okay. As long as my need is met, I get what I want, my need is met, I feel okay. Number two, oops, flesh is self-protective. Flesh is self-protective. And we do that by blaming others. As long as I can blame you, <laughs> then I point the pointer not out of me but onto you. I feel okay with that. 
Adam blamed the woman and God. The woman blamed the serpent. Excuse behavior. I ask this way because, <laughs> because I'm a victim. Denial, we deny reality. As long as we, we believe that it doesn't exist, therefore it doesn't exist. We are self-centered. I can't forget about me. I can't forget about myself. Flesh is like an octopus. Please give me, oops, 30 seconds. Just one minute to go through this, please. The flesh is like an octopus. I use the octopus as a metaphor for, for the flesh. See, the octopus has how many tentacles? Eight, eight tentacles. You see the various tentacles. Passivity, pride, depression, anger, bitterness, religion, jealousy, lust. Lust. The flesh is like that. And if you study, you know, the characteristics of the octopus, you know, when the octopus is in danger, it can cut off one of the tentacles. It cuts it off. That is hanging somewhere. It cuts it off. Then when it does that, it is going to strengthen the other tentacles so that those tentacles will begin to do the job of the, that, the one that has been cut off. And of course, that one is going to grow back. That tentacle that was shed is going to grow back. That's what the flesh does. See, those are the symptoms. So many a times, we are trying to pursue the symptoms. If, um, you know, if I know that I have a problem with anger, I try to solve anger. I will read the Bible, you know. I want to suppress anger. But if I try to suppress anger, guess what is going to be strengthened? One of those lost will be strengthened. So we don't deal with the behavior in my counseling. I don't deal with the behavior. All those behaviors, passivity, and all of that. In order to get rid of that, what do you deal with? The flesh. The flesh. That's what God does. He deals with the flesh. Because as soon as we deal with the flesh, all these other things, those behaviors will change. The Bible talks about renewing our mind, right? You renew the mind so that you'll be transformed. You don't deal with the behaviors. You deal with the mind. Because that is where those lies. The flesh is always the lies. The lies and the false beliefs that we have about ourselves, about God, and about others. You deal with the mind then all those other things will follow. Amen? My time is up. I've written uh, to there, there is There is a question that I will handle in the, in the next. I'm going to spend some more time on this because it is important that we understand this. Um, 
Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, the Paul said that we are not unaware of the devices of the enemy. We receive the truth, the truth that sets us free. It is your truth that sets us free. We are sanctified by your truth, by your word. We thank you, Daddy, that we receive these words today. Help us to allow this word to, to bear fruit in us. The fruit of love, patience, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus Christ and his life will be made manifest through us. Pray this in Jesus' name and everybody says, Amen. Makes, makes, makes me look like uh, <laughs> turn that off. <laughs> 